0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. My next interview is with Robert Osborne. He's a senior producer at Dan Builder Productions. He's a filmmaker. He's a storyteller. He is a journalist with tons of experience, years of experience at CTV and CBC and Global, telling important stories that are, you know, in in truth, changing the world. And, and, And we talk today about his new film, Unstoppable, which is about the fentanyl epidemic here in Canada. It's a, it's a disturbing film. It's a, it's a must-see film. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a movie that, that, honestly, that I think needs to get into high school systems and public school systems. I think people, uh, you know, police officers need to see this. There's a, there's a lot going on in this film. And like with any story, there are layered, layers to this that are uh, revealed, you know, as you go a little deeper, as you start to ask uh, new and interesting uh, and other questions that go beyond scratching the surface. And Robert and I get into some of that today in our conversation. So please do stay tuned. Check out the film. Uh, you can find it on CBC. It's going to be airing again. Uh, Unstoppable the name. My interview with Robert Osborne is coming up. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more interviews. We're pushing uh, close to 300 online published interviews very soon. rabble.ca for more uh, other interviews as well as my own. And, and don't forget, you can, you can come alongside and help support uh, this cause through patreon.com. Uh, uh, you can check out my site for more info about my public speaking and my book, Real Change is Incremental. Stay tuned, Robert Osborne. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today, uh, a filmmaker, a journalist, a writer, uh, just an all-around interesting guy uh, who is uh, the uh, director and producer of a new film called Unstoppable. Um, Robert Osborne is here with us today. Robert, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for having me David. I appreciate that.
1: So so tell us a little bit about uh the film has been released uh came out on uh, CBC. I believe it's now available online. Just we'll talk about that again later as we wrap up the interview before we dig into the content, but it is accessible right now.
2: It's up on the uh, CBC First Hand website. Absolutely.
1: Excellent. Good. So uh and it just aired recently. What's the response been so far?
2: it went to air on December 1st that's the first broadcast uh probably CBC will have a second broadcast sometime in the spring that's typically what their their uh MO is the response was amazing. Um, huh. we, did a, we had a huge buzz going on social media. The audience response, the CBC, was really happy. We beat the season average for the show by 80,000 viewers. Wow. So they were quite happy with that. And, and, you know, while certainly the viewership of a documentary does not define its, its excellence. No. Um, but you know what? It's nice to know that you've got some people <laughs> of course. who are watching the piece, right? Of
1: course, of uh, course. That's, I mean, yeah, That has been your world, hasn't it, as a journalist? I mean, don't you want people to read what you write, what you report on, and so on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so,
1: so uh, Unstoppable, Robert, could be about anything. I mean, it could be about... Academia. It could be about the transport industry. It could be about tourism. But it's not. The subtitle of your film is 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 uh, well. It's beyond telling the fentanyl epidemic in Canada. Um, Is it really as bad as the film seems to 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 communicate?
2: Well, certainly, all the information that I had uh, pointed to that fact that it is uh, at this point. If we continue to treat fentanyl as a standard drug that we fight with all the conventional means that we've always used to fight illegal drugs, we're not going to stop it.
1: Mm. You say, you say conventional means. What? Yeah. Unpack that a little bit for me. So, so are there non-conventional means, I guess is, is the question I've got.
2: When I say the conventional means, here's what I, here's what I'm talking about. Um, relying on the police and the border services and all those conventional means of combating illegal drugs to either stop the drug from coming into the country or once it's gotten into the country to clean it up and arrest the people who are are, are trafficking in this kind of material, right? And then relying on the social services agencies to kind of mop up the mm-hmm. aftermath, mm-hmm. right? Those are the conventional kinds of means that we use to deal with illegal drugs. And if we just continue to apply those two approaches to a drug like fentanyl, it is gonna to continue to overwhelm us. So bigger and here's the reason yeah, why. Yeah. Go. First of all, you can't stop it coming into the country. It doesn't come in in a conventional means like cocaine and heroin, where you where they ship you know ten, twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred kilos at a, at a time. Those kind of shipments have space; they take room. You need a really developed kind of pipeline to smuggle those kinds of drugs into the country. Sentinel does not follow those rules mm. because to get Sentinel into the country. All you need to get is a 200-gram package to get into the country. You can cut that at a 100 to 1 ratio, and you can create 20 kilos of fake heroin. It's remarkable. So how do you stop 200-gram packages from coming into the country? There are thousands of them that come into the country every day. So you can't intercept all the stuff coming in. That's the one problem. The next thing is, once it gets into the country, you're not talking about sort of conventional organized crime groups right. that specialize in bringing in fentanyl and, dis- and selling it. Any mouth breather that knows how to use Tor browser can go online and find a site in Asia that will gladly sell him as much pure heroin or fentanyl right. as you want. Right. So again, so how do you police that end of it? And then the final step is once it hits the street, if it's not mixed properly and you get a batch that has a hot spot on it, it can kill dozens of people in one day. The last week in Vancouver, people were dying in the alleyways. At the rate of ten or fifteen a day.
1: Yeah, it's it's horrifying. You you you, you bring out in the film that this, this could be a record year or will be a record year for the amount of deaths from fentanyl. Is is that is that still moving?
2: Oh, no question. Yeah. In fact, it, it's it's going to be worse than than the police whom I'm quoting in that. Uh, even they anticipated. It's going to be worse than they thought it would
1: So, be. So, Robert, from all your research, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the, a guy by the name of Beaker that you focus on in the film for sure that comes up and a fascinating character and, and a really interesting um uh, way to tell the story and and I mean it's a heart by the way congratulations. What a great piece. What an important Thank film you. I mean, I, I hope everybody sees this This is a film that uh, you know school kids needs to see and, and academics need to see and and policymakers need to see it's it's uh, should be required viewing <laughs> for for on a variety of levels Um are we talking about? I mean, is this just a problem with the human condition? At the risk of sounding like I'm looking for one solution, is this is this a user problem? Is it? it I mean, obviously it's multi-layered. But if it's going to come into the country and you can't stop it anyway, um, w- then what? I mean, there's a there's a cynical kind of oh wow we're we're going to hell in a handbasket kind of an approach to that. That you know, throw your arms up and go. Well, now what do we do?
2: Um, you know what? I think you've got a point there, and, and that's why I'm thinking we have to start thinking outside the box if we're going to deal with this, mm. because a lot of the people that I ran into, particularly in Vancouver, who worked with the addict population, that was their contention. They said, listen, we are never going to clear up whole, the whole concept that there are going to be addicts, they are going to be addicted to various drugs, and that you're not going to stop. What you can stop is you can stop all the criminality that's mm. associated with their getting those kinds of illegal drugs. Mm. And if you clean that up, well, look at some of the experiments that have been done in other parts of the world, most notably in Portugal, where that country went from having a, an illegal drug problem that was so severe that they really were just running out of money, They reached the point where they just couldn't afford to fight the illegal drug problem anymore. And so the government, out of desperation, legalized it. Mm. And they started to provide the drugs that uh, addicts needed free of charge as part of the medical system. Well, the result has been nothing short of a massive transformation in Portugal. Their police costs are significantly down, their prison population is down, and the organized crime groups that operate in that place have been gutted because they've got nothing to make money on anymore. Right, right. So we may have, I mean, I'm not saying that that's where we've got to go as a society. That's a debate that we have to have as Canadians. But I'm saying that we have to start thinking in different terms to beat a drug like fentanyl or it is unstoppable.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, obviously, I was going to ask you earlier. Bigger bigger prisons are not the answer.
2: Well, bigger prisons in any country. Look at the United States. The experiments in the United States are not the experiment. The reality. The reality of the was they went on a chair of building more prisons and their capacity. They, they are now the country. If I'm not mistaken, they have more incarcerated citizens than any other country in the world. And yet, it hasn't reduced their crime rate. So... What's wrong with that picture?
1: Well, and it seems to me created a whole other level of exclusion, you know. I mean, obviously people need to, to I guess, you know, <laughs> what's that crazy phrase, do the time if you've done the crime. I mean, I don't even yeah. know what that actually means in truth. But I think you're right. I think redefining what these crimes are made up of may be a much more holistic and long-term answer. Because, all, I mean, what really comes out in your film is that uh, this is this is an ongoing problem. It's going to continue. Now, what do we do? How do we how do we address it? So that, like you say, the regular stuff isn't the usual stuff isn't working. So how do we address it? And how do we save those lives? And then you you sort of you tell this story of of, of this epidemic here in the country in Canada, and but you you cross cut it so beautifully and so tragically with a family who lose their son. And 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 I think what that does for me as a as a young, I've got a nine and eleven year old, you know, the way you end the film, this this idea that this this there but for the grace of God, this can happen to anybody.
2: I really do believe that. I mean, you know, that family uh, and I have an enormous regard for that family. I, and, I bet and you a, and do. a great deal of affection. They they opened up their lives to us in a way that was truly remarkable. I mean, I'm not even sure. I would welcome a documentary crew into my life and pour my heart and soul out in the way that they did. So I admire their courage tremendously, but they are a decent, ordinary, average, middle class family who loved Tim Horton's coffee and <laughs> hockey and yeah. they have houses and mortgages and, you know, everything else. And those kids were both raised, the, the daughter and the son, the same, and they were both Good kids. They, you know, they finished high school and they went to some kind of post-secondary education and they both had good jobs. They were not, you know, Byron was not a kid that was uh, a hardcore addict and right. a criminal and someone we would want to dismiss and say, oh, that's just a junkie and that's right. just right. the cost of of, of, of his Bad habit, and if he's going to do that kind of stuff, then you know, so be it. He was a really average kid, and yes, he had been playing around with some drugs. No question of that. But I think the family is convinced that he had his life turned around and he was back on track until he went to that final party well, and he, uh, it, somebody. Well,
1: that's that's him the tragedy, eh? That 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 final party, as as his dad says. I mean. Robert, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you say he was playing around with drugs. I mean, anyone who drinks, anyone who does a little bit of uh, marijuana, I mean, they're playing around with drugs. They're playing around. So, that. so I mean, are we just talking about? You know, I, I, I couldn't help but focus on you. Open up the film with it, and you, you kind of, uh, you bring it uh, back. Uh, uh, you know, when Beaker talks about how he has quote, I have what does he say? I have certain ethical flexibilities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think we all have, you know, and and we all play around with that it seems to me. But with respect to drugs, it's an interesting one because once you find out that somebody's popping pills, well, geez, they're a junkie, right? They're an addict. But if somebody, I mean, is, I guess my question is, is there, is it okay to be an alcoholic in a sense, you know, to drink too much and to to put your family and yourself at risk, you know, with alcohol, but not with these other, you know, in italics, illegal drugs?
2: Well, it's interesting. I've had this conversation with Pat O'Connell, Byron's father, on mm. a couple of occasions. Mm. We're both about the same vintage. So, so we went through that time at the end of the 60s and the early 70s when there was a much more permissive attitude towards right. uh, experimentation. Sure. Yep. And, and I would be a hypocrite if I looked at people and said, you know, I've never done any kind of experimentation when I was a kid growing up. I mean, and I think a lot of people of my generation um, probably would have to stay the same. At right. one point or another, they experimented sure, with something. Sure. Whether it was marijuana or whether it was something a little stronger, uh, it was a very experimental age. The problem with fentanyl is that does not allow for experimentation. Mm. So, so when I was experimenting, I had a reasonable confidence that anything I was experimenting with was not going to kill me. Right. You know,
1: right. it may keep right. me,
2: me up for a while, right. Uh, right. and I may have some paranoid d- delusions, but it's not going to kill me. The problem is that Sentinel will kill you, and if you make a mistake and you're experimenting and you hit that hot spot. There's a no forgiveness there. Mm. It absolutely will kill you. And that puts a whole different perspective on the concept of being a young person who is then just experimenting with something as part of the growing up process.
1: Right, right. Right, yeah. There's something. There's something lethal about this in a way that there isn't with marijuana or with with uh, with alcohol. I mean, there can be. I suppose you know if you you smoke up and get behind the wheel of a car, you've, you, you know, that's a pretty lethal sure. choice. But with fentanyl, it's the popping of a pill. It's that. It's 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 a pebble in the pond almost in a sense with the uh, the potential for for really uh, radical and life changing implications. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What about you know, so you, you, you talk to 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 one of the addicts in the film, I think, who 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 almost I wouldn't say is proud of the fact that that he's um hooked on heroin and hooked on fentanyl and so on and uh and I'm I'm assuming that's your voice when you talk to him about his about his neck and that's where he shoots up and so on. Johnny. Yeah, and he says, um, you know, I do it because I want to get high, you know, and then I his line lo- is proud. Yeah, I no, I don't designed. think it's pride. I don't think it's pride, but, you know, just the way he said, you know, I, I do it to relax because I want to deal with reality. And, I mean, yeah. in a sense, I mean, my, my heart went out to him, you know, yeah. as it should to all of us. I mean, isn't that kind of what we're all? We're all figuring
2: it out. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know? he's, he's an interesting person, and I think what I, what I liked about Donnie is that his candor was a beyond even what most addicts mm. will acknowledge. Mm. If you talk nice. to addicts, uh, uh, that downtown east side of Vancouver population, they will often be deluded. Um, you know, they'll be uh, acknowledging that they're using drugs and they'll have a million different reasons and they're going to be getting off it next week. And, you right, know, right, yada, of course. Yada. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: Donnie was basically completely upfront about it. He was prepared to say, I'm an addict. I'm not going to change, and I'm probably going to die down here. And in the meantime, I will shoot anything into my body that I can get my hands on because that's the only pleasure I have in life. Mm -hmm. And it it was shocking to talk to somebody who was that. Well, he he
1: he talked about it in a in a need sense. This isn't something like this is uh, this is part of my nutritional uh, daily intake, right? This is this is what I do to survive. Yeah. What about change? Tell tell me. So I'm all about change, Robert. I mean, that's I've got a company, a consulting company called So Change. You know, based on social change. I work with nonprofits. I, I work overseas. All my listeners know. I love to talk about about how you know I can impact your life. How can you impact mine, and so on. Why? doesn't somebody like donnie believe they can change i mean is it is it really i mean you've you know beaker you know the the chemist in the film i mean he 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 basically says okay what i do, i'm not evil but okay what i do is kind of wrong i've got this certain ethical flexibility but i'm not going to change either because this is who i am what, what, what can you speak to that a little bit did you did you get any I insight with beaker, in,
2: yeah. um i think beaker feels very trapped in his life as mm, trapped as mm. many people in your audience might feel in their respective lives um he is he's a very smart man he's very self-reflective um in fact i i dare say david that if you were to sit down and have a coffee with beaker you would find him to be a really fascinating person oh i bet now it just so happens that he makes his living by doing things that could possibly kill people and he is aware of that now he's tried to get out of that he tells me on a couple of occasions and the results have been catastrophic for him um first of all he is an addict himself and as an addict if he's actively using he could need between two to four hundred dollars a day to support that habit well so where do you get cash like that yeah yeah. if you're a former an ex con. And you've got no job skills other than the ability to be uh, an illegal chemist. So he's trapped in that sense. The other thing he's trapped is that he tells me, and I had some, some corroboration about this from the police, um, the last time he tried to walk away from this, he was kidnapped off the street by a group of criminals who took him to a remote location and... Tortured him until he agreed to cook drugs for them. Um, And one of the things they did, and he showed me his back teeth, they're all cracked. They took a set of vice grips and they tried to pull out his back teeth with the vice grips. And all they succeeded in doing was smashing his back teeth to to bits. Um, So he relented and went to work for them. And he claims that 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 is how he's ended up in this current mess that he's in so he feels very much trapped and he would like to get out of that now having said that there are other choices that i he could clearly be making that he is not making Mm. so yeah you can only take that argument so So far far.
1: sure but i do
2: understand that i don't think it's his first choice in terms of how he would like to be living and how he would like to make his living
1: so do you do you deal with these guys with the vice grips if you now make this drug legal? I mean, not fentanyl, but if you if you allow for, uh, I guess uh, a um, what would you say a more uh, a policed version of heroin versus I mean but didn't it come out of You in the mean film do that, you
2: get rid of people like Yeah, them?
1: yeah. Do you do you totally get rid of that, criminality, that, well, that criminal Well if you make your
2: living, if you're an organized criminal group and you are making the majority of your money through illegal drugs and suddenly those drugs are being given out for free, you got a problem for <laughs> cash flow. <laughs>
1: your bus your business model is crumbling around your you. Your
2: business model is <laughs> definitely crumbling. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not going to come up with some other creative illegal solution, but I would say in this country, in most Western countries, by far the most lucrative uh, form of illegal criminal activity is probably related to drugs.
1: Right, right. Right. And and doesn't it isn't I mean, the issue really from a I guess a chemical perspective is that the heroin that's on the street, ninety percent of it is fentanyl. And and the the and the issue is not so much with that, it's the way it's made that's the problem. Is that from a health perspective, from a from an overdose perspective? And then the drug looks like they put it often put it into like an oxycontin pill that you might actually get over the over the counter. I mean I couldn't believe it when, when it comes out in the film that you know, some of these guys are actually getting the drug presses so that they, you know, to, stealing those to, to make the drugs look exactly like the Oxy that you would get from a pharmacy. And all of a sudden... Oh,
2: listen, and, and all kinds of mouth-breathing amateurs are getting into the mm, game. Mm. You know, the police showed me one pill press that they had just seized in the last few months. And, and that guy who was working as a broker in Calgary wow. Wow. had ordered this online and it it came through customs and the customs gave the police a sort of a, an informal heads up on it. And, and so the, the police contacted this guy and they said, can you tell me why you would need an industrial pill press that can crank out hundreds of thousands of pills a day? Like what would mm-hmm. that, you know work with me on yeah, this work with try me on and this. explain this to me, and the guy just immediately said, um, you know what listen I don't need pill press. Uh, you guys can have it wow so so that's the kind of amateur right. that can get involved when these pill presses can be ordered anywhere. I mean, go on to eBay and you can you can buy one in a matter of minutes, shipping yeah. included."
1: Yeah, it's well. That that also is just a really unsettling piece that comes out in the film. The, the the sort of the ubiquity of it, the access, right? It's just so easy from my BlackBerry, from my iPhone. I can order uh, a couple. Uh, what is it? A couple hundred grams of of a, of a powder that's going to a make me lots of money, but also potentially uh, be untraceable. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of mind-boggling in a way. And it's
2: filtering. You know what it is. It's death through a thousand cuts. You know that old expression, right? yeah, yeah, Um, sure, sure. That's what fentanyl is in terms of smuggling. It's not coming in in huge, you know, massive kilo amounts. It's coming in through hundreds and hundreds of these little packages. And I just learned not long ago, I was reading an article, and the article said that if a package is under 200 grams, then CBSA has to have special permission to open it.
0: Wow. So wow. if
2: that's the case, wow. and you're a, if so, you're a fentanyl smuggler yeah. dealer, then you know that probably by now, and you are then uh, making sure that every single shipment you get from China or wherever else in Asia is coming in, and it weighs 195 grams.
1: So for $620.98, uh, and uh, I can buy a pill press right now, uh, free shipping. I just punched it up while we were chatting. Apparently, <laughs> there's been 21 sold in the last 22 days, and that's come, right. that's coming out of California. Now, presumably not designed uh, for making Oxy, but uh, with a few tweaks, I guess, it, uh, it it can be, you know, it can be... Well, even that, uh,
2: d- they're going to know that that out of California is not a good idea because the DEA tracks any pill presses um, the movement of any pill presses right. in the united states right. Right. so if you buy a pill press that's made in the u.s and it's shipped up to canada then the dea is going to know about that right. right if you do that search on on um, uh, ebay and you look for um, companies that are selling out of hong kong now you can see that you can get a pill press for around eight to twelve thousand dollars and that sucker will even crank out more, and that's untraceable.
1: Wow! Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Eh? What a what a what a crazy world we live in. Tell me about it from a policy perspective. What did you learn? What did you learn from uh, local governments, from the federal government? Are the police frustrated? I mean, obviously they're frustrated, but but. It, it, Is there a conversation going on? Was that part of your desire with the film uh, to create more of a conversation? Uh, Are people talking around sort of the boardroom tables and and, 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 and in places that that matter?
2: I was very heartened to see about a week before the film went to air that there was a meeting. Christy Clark, the B.C. premier, flew out to Ottawa, and there was a a meeting of all the sort of players, and they're pushing very hard for some kind of a national strategy towards fentanyl. And one of the players sitting at the table, finally, was the Department of Foreign Affairs. Mm. Because if we don't get foreign affairs involved, if they're not talking with their counterparts in various Asian countries, and they know which ones they are, uh, and they are trying to, to get them to control the manufacture of fentanyl, uh, and other related virus, because it doesn't have to be fentanyl. It can morph overnight into something else. If they're not getting those countries to control the manufacture, then we are just going to, all we can do is sit and wait for the tsunami to hit us.
1: Well, and I think that also comes out sort of, uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you're encouraged by it, and, and I think it's interesting. I would not have gone to Global Affairs. I would not have gone to the Department of Foreign Affairs for this, but it makes perfect sense that that's, you know, from a top-down perspective, that's, but I think, you know, having spent a lot of time in development and, and, and working with CEDA before and then DFAT-D and now Global Affairs, seeing the f- how little some of these agencies and departments are actually talking with each other is what I always found so discouraging, that at the top in the bottom
2: <laughs>
1: weren't connected, if if you know what I mean.
2: Well, they've got to get involved because I mean you have to remember that for the most part, the labs that are manufacturing these products, they're not these clandestine little mm-hmm. kind of back alley shops. Right, they're right. just they're just normal pharmaceutical companies. They're not even making a product that in China is illegal. Yeah. So so. You know, there was a recent um, agreement that was signed between the RCMP and the Chinese police to work better cooperation about fentanyl. But I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, bravo for the initiative. But on the other hand, what are the Chinese police going to do? Because the product isn't illegal in their country. So you need to get into the higher levels of the Chinese government. And you've got to impress upon them that they have got to control rigidly the manufacture of synthetic opioids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's there's certainly no easy solution to any of these things. It seems to me, but I I uh, I love the what I love what you've done with the film and the, the way you've rooted it in this personal story and and also shown the 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 you know the complexities of it. This is a, a clearly uh, a tragic sort of unfolding of events here in, in in Canada. And I think I mean I don't know. I mean, having spent so many years in journalism, you must. I've come across these types of stories before, and, and if you're still, you know, digging, uh, I would like to think you're still hopeful. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: is that a fair assessment?
2: Um, I've never come across a story like this before. Um. I've never come across a drug, and I've done lots of drug pipeline stories. Sure,
1: okay. Uh, yep. Stories
2: about ecstasy coming from Asia into Canada and down to the U.S., and and the whole crystal meth epidemic that was, you know, overtaking Canada and was also, uh, you know, being a, being a, a launch pad to the United States because we hadn't dealt with the precursor problem. And I've done pieces on, you know, marijuana and heroin and you name it. But I have never encountered a drug that I considered to be this um, problematic. Mm. I mean, you know, the police often can be accused of kind of pumping up the volume on their
0: fight against
2: various drugs and they will you know they'll come up with these estimates that that make things seem much much more of a of an issue than they possibly are but this is one case where i don't think they're exaggerating at all
0: well wow.
1: I want to um just before we wrap up I would love to chat just briefly about something that beaker said about uh a TA that he had uh back in back in I guess it was a university and school. Yeah. And, and somebody had asked him about in in a chemistry class had asked him about making some LSD on the side. You know, do you know how to do that? I mean the implication was can can you help uh, you know, I guess I don't know, satisfy some party like requirements for LSD locally. And he says something to the effect of that, that conversation cost nearly well pretty much cost him his life as he knows it because maybe maybe as a chemist he could have gone on to cure cancer. I was blown away by that. I'm so glad you left that piece into the film. Because for me, it's just it shows the the import, the the import and impact that we all have on each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. the, the kind of the kind of almost Ricochet effect that can happen with what seem to be very small decisions. Yeah. In life. Yeah. You know, make a decision and it's like a, um, it, it's, it's, forgive me for mixing metaphors, but it kind of deflects you off and suddenly you're careening off different sort of directions than ever possibly your life was meant to go in. Yeah. And I don't know whether he's right about that. I don't think it was one single. No. No, of course, that cost not. him that. I think his his decision that may have opened up some ideas sure. to him. Sure, and, of course, and and it, it enabled him to start thinking about how he could finance his addiction. But for me, the real watershed mark for his life is when he chose to start using uh, heroin, mm. and once he became addicted to heroin. And apparently it, it doesn't take that long. We're talking about, you know, three or four days of consistent use of heroin, and you are, you are, you are addicted to that drug. Wow. Um, and then once he was addicted to that drug, then I think that his brain started to go back to that conversation and think, well, hey, hold on a second. Right, right. You know, there's a whole possibility here for me to be able to finance this new habit of mine. Right. That's what I think. But in either case, the point that you're trying to make
1: uh, is the same. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't help. I mean, it almost brought a tear to my eye when when uh, right near the end of the film where he talks about how, uh, you know, I'm good at this and 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 that that, and that's and that's a good thing for me. Like I I sensed a certain amount of um, I mean, he was feeling uh, affirmed and included yeah. almost by the... by the, And then he said something to the effect of, you know, I'm at least as good as this uh, as my dad is at at, at everything. And yeah, I, that's un- honestly, Robert, I couldn't help but think, was there a breakdown there somewhere along the way without pointing any fingers? Believe me, I'm really trying not to.
0: But yeah. when you
1: start to unpack this stuff, you go, wow, what, what other factors are playing into this, right? It's just, wow, it's... Uh, yeah, my mom. My mom. She 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 probably won't hear this podcast, but she used to have a little uh, uh, sticker on her on her, on our refrigerator door, and it said, "Everything I do affects someone else," and yeah. you know, it's it's pretty mind boggling.
2: Yeah, I agree. It sure can be.
1: Thank you for your time today, Robert. Uh, RobertOsborne.ca is the website. The film is unstoppable. It's uh, a first-hand uh, piece uh, with the CBC. And, uh, Robert, just to uh, uh, tie it up here, going to show again probably, but it's also available on the CBC website.
2: It is. And can I make one small correction? Yeah, the please. The site where our company is is dambuilderproductions.com.
1: Oh, there you go. So don't, okay, damn so my builders.
2: apologies for, for correcting you, but. Oh, uh, yeah. no,
1: hey, happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> so Dan builder productions is is the company that produced this film as well correct yes. yeah 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 excellent well listen Robert thank you for your time thanks for the film it's an important piece and again uh, I wish you well with it i hope uh, I hope it gets into schools and it's it's I hope it's seen by everybody because it's uh, I think there's a lot more going on than just you know talking about a drug epidemic there's there's other things here that are that are playing into this that need to be need to be need to be talked about as well so thanks well thanks, thanks for, for, for
2: having me i have to say this is one of the more interesting Conversations that I've had about the film, I I did close to fifty interviews over a period of about two weeks. Wow! But this this was one of the more interesting
1: conversations. Well, I'm I'm thrilled by that, and I hope well I hope it leads to some uh, further conversation. Maybe there's a part two for you and I down the road. But uh, but I
2: appreciate it. Well, let's keep in touch, David. Okay, thanks, Rob. All right, take care now. Bye bye.